You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Good morning. I have a tradition. Thank you, sir. Uh, I have a tradition, particularly on Easter Sunday, that's a call and response that we haven't yet done this morning. I would like to do it with you, even if you're not uh, familiar with it. It's very, very simple. This is how it goes. I'll say, he is risen, and then you will respond, he is risen indeed. Can we do that together? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We're here today to celebrate that reality and that fact. And I just want to say thank you for uh, taking time this weekend to celebrate that with us and being here uh, on this Easter Sunday. Uh, It is exciting to be with you. Uh, I know that Easter is full of of lots of traditions for many of us. Uh, Some of us will be getting together with family and we'll be eating lots of food. Many of you are dressed up today because mom said, if you don't wear that collar, I will not feed you lunch. Uh, and if you don't, don't come to church, you won't eat either. And so I know some, some of us are bribed to be here this morning. Some of us are here because of Easter t- tradition. Many reasons that we're here. Some of you are here, you're here every week, whether it's your first time, whether it's the time that you come once a year, or whether you're here every week. And I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being here. In, in the next few moments, my desire is, and frankly, I'm, I'm what keeps you, I'm in between you and your lunch. So we're going to try to do this very quickly uh, this morning because I know that's very important. But But for whatever reason that you're here today, I just want to ask you that if for the next few minutes, if you will lend me your ear and if you will just dare to open your heart a little bit, because I'm going to talk about something that I believe has the power to change everything in your life. Uh, The truth is, is that if there is no resurrection, there is no power. But if the resurrection is real, there is power for transformation in your life. There is power to be different. There is power to live different. I want that power. I want to be a different kind of person. I need some help. Uh, And so this morning, as you are here today, whether you are sure about Jesus or you're not sure about Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head just as we begin this message. Uh, and, and, And I just want to ask you if you would simply ask the Lord, Lord, would you talk to me? Would you just bow your head just right now, Lord? Jesus, even for these next few minutes, we just dare to ask that you would come into this place and that you would speak to us. Every man, woman, and child that's here, Lord, would you encounter us? I thank you, Lord, that you are here today. You're, You're not a God that's far away. You're a God that is close at hand. And so I just pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see you, Lord, and we would know you. We pray this in your name. And everybody said... Amen. This morning I want to talk to you, maybe a little bit different kind of of Easter Sunday message. Uh, I want to talk to you about famous last words. Uh, There's something that is powerful about the last words that a person says uh, before they die. And we we pay special attention uh, to those things that they utter right before they go into eternity. Sometimes we do that because maybe they're a famous person and we're seeing if they're going to say something interesting. But just if it's our loved one, we pay attention to what they say because we have a sense that they are about to cross over into eternity. They're about to go through the veil that that all of us will enter and pass through one day, but we're not there yet. And and we have a sense that as they get closer and closer, they they might see a little bit more and we pay attention to what they might say about that. I I looked up a a few famous last words uh, and and I want to share them with you. W.C. Fields, who was uh, an actor uh, in the 40s and the 50s, uh, he said this right before he died, I'm looking for loopholes. How about this? James French, 
who was uh, a murderer on death row in the, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he was sent uh, to uh, actually serve a life sentence for murdering someone. And James French was actually uh, kind of ticked off that he didn't get the chair because he wanted, frankly, the chair for that murder. And so he, true story, killed his cellmate so that they would actually put him in the chair. So this is what he said the day before he died. These were his last words spoken to the media. He said, hey, fellas, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries. <laughs> Do you like that? Some good last words, right? That's, that's, that's a good one. How about this? This is what Lawrence of Rome said. He was a martyr. He died uh, for his faith in Jesus. And they burned him at the stake uh, for not denying Christ. After burning for a few minutes, he said this, turn me over. I'm done on this side. <laughs> what you say at the end, we, we pay attention to. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about what Jesus said at the end, what his last words were. Because if the resurrection is true, they're not just nice last famous words. They're actually words of power that have something to do with your life and my life today. And if you were to do a study of what Jesus said on the cross in his last hours of life, you'll, you'll find there's actually seven phrases that he spoke on that day. We're going to look at just three of those. And, and I want to talk to you about what today, because of the resurrection, the cross speaks to us. Because there is, in fact, power behind the words of Jesus. They weren't just nice words spoken on the cross that we read today because they were a nice man that spoke them, but they're powerful words that actually say something to us. And if you want to follow along in your notes and you want to get all the verses, uh, always we have outlines that are available uh, on the Church Center app. You've heard that talked about on the announcements this morning. And if you download that app, you can find there under the more button at the bottom that we have outlines every week and you can follow along in that way if you desire. If you're watching online or you're here in person, you can just point your camera at the QR code and it will help you pull that up. Let me just talk to you for the next few moments about what uh, the cross says to us this morning. Because of the resurrection, number one, the cross says that you and I have been invited in. This is what Jesus says. It's recorded in Luke chapter 23. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is an interesting character. If you do a, a study of Jesus, if you read the Gospels about his life, you'll find that Jesus is always surprising people with what he did and how he acted. And one of the things that was the most surprising to many is that Jesus hung out with the wrong kind of people. Whenever he was out, he was always out with people that you would not expect him to be with, right? He actually gained a reputation for this fact. They, they, they said of Jesus, he hung out with sinners and tax collectors. With tax collectors, that's about as bad of a people that you can hang out with in that day. They actually called him, his reputation was a, uh, a drunkard and uh, one who just devoured everything that he could eat because, because he was always at the parties. He was always with people that were having a good time. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul, a few years later, would write in one of his letters to the church about this exact fact, about hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And, and, and Paul gave us good advice. He, he, he said, hey, listen, be careful who you hang out with because bad company corrupts good morals. That's what every mom and every dad says to their kids today. Watch out who you hang out with because in the end you will hang with them. 
But Jesus, he hangs out with people that are full of sin, they're full of corruption, but he was the kind of person that couldn't be corrupted. He wasn't hanging out with people that were broken because he wanted their, their, what they were after and what they were pursuing. He actually wanted them. Jesus was interested in the person, not in the thing that they were after. I, I just want to say, by the way, this morning, if you feel like you don't have it all together, if you feel like you're broken, if you feel like you've been hanging around the wrong people, then you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus loves to hang out with. Because that's exactly how he spent his life. He spent his life hanging out with people like you and me. And here he is in the last hours of his life, and just the same way that he lived, now he's dying. He is hanging on the cross between two sinners, two thieves, as they are described in the gospel account. And, and it's fascinating, if you begin to read the story, you'll see that they have a conversation as they're hanging there awaiting their death. One thief says to Jesus as he sees the sign over the cross uh, above Jesus' head that says, King of the Jews, he begins to mock Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And while you're at it, why don't you save me as well? Well, the other thief on the other side of Jesus, he is appalled by his friend. Actually, we don't know if they were friends at all, if they knew each other in life uh, in any way whatsoever. But he knows something is wrong with the way that his pal is talking to Jesus. And so he simply says back to him, he says, hey, bro, we're getting exactly what we deserve. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says something that I think we should take note of. He says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And this is when Jesus speaks those famous last words that I began with just a moment ago. He looks back at this thief and he looks him in the eyes and he says, truly, today you will see me in paradise. Now, here's what I want you to get, and I'll, they'll put this on the screen. The thief was the first one to get in because Jesus receives everyone who turns to him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I often don't have very much faith. I actually find, and you might be surprised by this, or you might think, man, Pastor, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a guy who really believes all the time. But, but the reality is when, when I look inside of my heart and I look at the situations of brokenness in the world, I, I often find that I have more doubt than faith. I find that I'm conflicted and, and, and I just am confused and, and I just barely can believe and I don't really know what to do. And, and, and I, I think probably most of us are like that. And the good news is, is that when Jesus looks at us, he treats us much the way that he treated the way that he picked friends in his life. He wasn't very particular about the friends he hung out with and he's not very particular about the quality of faith that he accepts. In other words, it doesn't take very much. Jesus does more with your faith than you think he can do. He is, in fact, the difference maker. He is the one that takes what you have to offer him, and he takes it across the finish line. I can't imagine that the thief who says to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember to me today? And would you, if, if you're the king, would you, would you bring me into your kingdom? He didn't really have that much faith. He certainly wasn't a good Christian. 
We, we have no account or no knowledge that he even knew about Jesus before they were there hanging on the crosses together. And, and it's almost as if he's just reaching out with just, just a little bit of hope. I mean, the guy is on the cross. He's about to breathe his last. There's nothing that's coming after this. And so it just with, he's just sort of saying, man, in a last-ditch effort, Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus, maybe if you are the king, I mean, there's something written above your head that says the king of the Jews. I don't know if that's really true, but Jesus, if you are the king, would you do me a favor and would you take me with you? And Jesus turns to him and he says, that'll work for me. That's all I need. I don't need very much. I'm not looking for perfect faith. I'm not looking for a perfect person. I'm not looking for someone who's got it all figured out. I'm not looking for someone who knows all the answers to the test. I'm looking for someone who simply will stop worrying about the quality of their faith and will start looking at me. And if we will simply allow ourselves to stop telling ourselves, you're not believing right, you're not good enough, you cannot ever earn this. If you'll stop doing that and simply turn to Jesus, you'll find out he's the difference maker. He's the one that says to you and to me, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. I love that he takes our faith more seriously than we do. The prophet Isaiah says in, in, in chapter 42, and he writes 500 years before Christ, and the prophet peers into the future, and he actually sees Jesus on the cross. It's incredible if you read the book of Isaiah, and you'll see that the descriptive details that he gives about what was going to happen on the cross are so accurate that you, you can't deny that it's Jesus. And he writes of Jesus in one of these verses. He, he says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering candle he will not snuff out. A smoldering wick he will not blow out. He's saying Jesus is the kind of person that when he sees weakness, he doesn't laugh and crush it. A bruised reed, think about a little plant, you know, a delicate flower, a delicate plant. It's, if it's bruised, it doesn't take very much just to, just to break it. It doesn't take very much to kill it. You know, you know the, the, that candle with the little flame that just kind of flickers there? It wouldn't take very much. It doesn't take very much to, to blow it out. You have to be so careful to protect the flame because if anything comes against it, it just is going to disappear. And Prophet Isaiah says, hey, Jesus is the kind of person that when he sees you and you're broken and you're weak and you're just barely hanging on, you're just barely flickering there with a little bit of life, he doesn't look at you and say, I don't know, that's not good enough, come back tomorrow, maybe we can try again. He doesn't look at you and judge you and say, I, I don't know about, about that, you got too many things wrong in your life, maybe if you clean yourself up, come back again tomorrow, we'll check things out again. No, 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 a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering candle he will not snuff out. He's the kind of God that says, you are invited in. All you've got to do is turn to me. And even just with the smallest bit of faith that you have, even if it's full of doubt, even if it's full of confusion, he says, would you just give it to me? I'll take it and I'll do something with it. And if you would do that, if you just in your heart, just maybe even right now, just begin to say, Jesus... Man, if you really are king, would you remember, would you remember me? The cross says to us, we have been invited in. Second thing that the cross says to us because of the resurrection, the cross says that you and I have a family. 
This is in John chapter 19. Jesus is there on the cross and he looks down and it says this, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Put yourself in Mary's shoes just for a moment. Can you imagine uh, his mother watching Jesus, his body broken, bloody, and bruised, hanging on the cross. Uh, and uh, he, she knew that he was innocent and did not deserve the sentence that he was suffering in this moment. And every parent knows how painful it is to watch your child suffer. And you hurt when your child hurts. And, and here's Mary, and she's in pain. And Jesus does, I think, what probably none of us would do if it were me at least, and I'm there, I would be thinking about my own pain and my own suffering. But Jesus expresses the heart of the Father to Mary, and he expresses the heart of the Father to each one of us when he looks down at her and he is concerned with her. He's concerned that she would know that even though he was going to leave her, that even though they were going to be separated, that she would never be separated, that she would always have a family. And so he says, hey, listen, I have prepared a place for you. I've prepared a home for you, even though I'm not going to be here any longer in the same way that I was here before. I have, in fact, prepared a family for you. I want you to know that the message of the cross the miracle of the cross is that you are invited into a family that will never leave you and will never forsake you. We have a great friend uh, named Carolina that uh, part of her story is that when she was, uh, by, the by, by the time she was eight years old, both of her parents died. Her, her father died because uh, of a tragic accident and her mother died just a, a few years later because of cancer. And there she was left uh, with her sisters, really just heartbroken and a gaping hole in her life because she felt abandoned and that she really didn't have a family. And, 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 and there was a wound there that she didn't know what to do with. From an early age, she was sensitive to the things of God. She knew that the Lord was real and, and was seeking him, uh, but didn't have a solution to the pain that was in her heart. She went to a, a, a church service, I think when she was roughly 16, uh, and a visiting pastor came and who, who didn't know her, didn't know her situation, and looked at her be and began to minister to her. And he quoted a verse out of Psalms to her. I think it's 27 verse 10 that says, though father and mother forsake you, the Lord will accept you. And he began to speak to her how she would never, ever be denied by God the Father, that he had a place for her, he had a family for her, she had a place to fit in, that she was always going to be accepted, that there would in fact be for her forever a family surrounding her. There's a wonderful term called forever family that is used in adoption circles, uh, and it's used when uh, a child who has been in the foster care system sometimes traded from one family to the next, to the next, to the next, when finally that adoptive family is saying to them, uh, you now once and for all have a family. It's a forever family. You don't have to switch houses again. You don't have to switch homes again. I now am forever adopting you into this place. Isn't that a beautiful beautiful thing. I want you to know that the Father's heart for you is that you would have a family forever, a family where you're accepted, a family where you belong, a family where you fit right in, a family that's excited to have you, and not a family that tolerates you. We all know what it's like to come into a room and be tolerated. Oh, they're here? Okay, yeah, make some room for them. 
We all, we all know what it's like to have a brother or sister told, our mom and dad says to our brother and sister, hey, make sure you include them. That's not what I'm talking about. The family of God is the kind of family where you fit, yeah. where you belong, where when you show up, finally, they say, we've been waiting for you. Now we can start the party, right? That's the kind of family that we all need and desperately desire, the kind of family where you are seen, you are known, you are loved, and you are accepted. And when Jesus speaks to Mary, he speaks to all of us that we, in fact, have a family. Though we're rejected by our own family, though we have experienced brokenness in our relationships, though we have been hurt in church or other places, there is, in fact, a family where we will never be denied. There is, in fact, a place where we will always be accepted. There is, in fact, a home that is prepared for us. And Jesus says, if you come into my family, you've got a place forever and ever and ever. And he says to us, from this day forward, from this day forward, you will have a home. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, the cross says to us, number three, you are forgiven. You probably could quote these last famous last words to me, whether or not you've ever been in church or read the scripture before, they're ones that you have certainly heard that Jesus said. He says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There on the cross, I've heard that moment referred to uh, in the Latin term, axis mundi. It's, it's, it's the axis upon which all the universe turns. It's the place that actually splits history into two. Even, even today, we have a before Christ and an after Christ because there is something that happened in that moment, that intersection between those two pieces of wood where the light of the world and his broken body hung there. And everyone comes to this place at some point and they look and they stare and each one of us has to make a decision about what to do with Jesus what to do with the claims that he made. And what Jesus says when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is he's actually making a claim. He's actually saying something to each one of us. And for that reason, some come to the cross and they stare and they worship, and others come to the cross and they reject and they scorn because what Jesus is saying to each one of us is that we have a problem. We need forgiveness. He's making a claim that oftentimes we don't particularly care for. He's saying, you and I have a brokenness in our heart that needs to be repaired, that cannot be dealt with until we actually come to the Son of God and recognize that we need his help. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do, he wasn't just saying it to the, the religious leaders who had sent him there unjustly. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he wasn't just speaking about Pilate, who just a little bit earlier had washed his hands that he just couldn't get clean and sent him to the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he wasn't just speaking about the soldiers who had whipped him mercilessly and nailed him to the cross and put that crown of thorns on his head and gambled for his clothes. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he's, he's actually speaking of each one of us, for we too were there. That's the claim that he's making, that our sin actually 
matters, that it, that it counts, that it's important, that it's vital, that we understand that there's a problem that we have that has to be addressed. And we spend a lot of time trying to talk ourselves out of this idea. We don't like to talk about sin in our culture. Frankly, we, we do a lot of things to work around the idea of sin. We, we say, well, maybe that's just an idea that's invented by a human who was trying to control the population and get them to believe a certain thing and, and get them to be controlled in a certain way. And we go even one step further. Not only do we deny sin, but then we begin to turn our finger back on the Father himself. And we talk to God and we say, no, God, actually, you're the one that's sinful because how dare you take our sin and count it? against us. Why can't you just do something else? We don't like the sin thing. I mean, even in this moment right now, you, you might be thinking in your mind that you have worked out all the ways while you're really how you're really not a sinful person. I've done it before too. We're pretty good at rationalizing. We go back to the past and we rework history. We begin to say, well, if they wouldn't have done that, if they wouldn't have said that, I would have never done that. It's really not my fault to begin with. And we love, we love to do that. And I just want to submit to you this morning that I think you should just stop lying to yourself. It doesn't do us any good to believe a lie. It doesn't do any good to tell each other stories about how sin really isn't real. I mean, the reality is it's stamped on all of our hearts. Pastor Chad just said it just a few minutes ago as he was doing transition. There, there's, a, there, there's something that we know deeply inside of us that, that we are in the wrong and we don't know what to do with it. And there's no solution to it until we come to the person of Jesus and say, Jesus, would you please, would you save me from myself? Part of the problem of what we do with our sin is that we, we, we tend to compare ourselves to others in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. I, I heard a story recently, you may have heard the story as well. It was about a small community that uh, there were two brothers there. I, I could say they were farmers, uh, but I won't. Uh, that uh, these two brothers were the worst type of guys that you could imagine. They, they came up with new ways to sin almost every day. They, they gambled and they swindled and they deceived and they stole and they drank and they partied and they could come up with anything that they could do. They had the worst reputation in the community to, of sinners that you can imagine. Well, one day, one of the brothers died. And the other brother showed up uh, to, to visit the pastor in this small town to ask him to do the funeral. The pastor was a little bit shocked, never seen this guy before in his church. Uh, and he, the brother asked him uh, if he would do the service. Well, the pastor said, yeah, of course, I, uh, I'll, I'll do that service for you. The brother said, no, wait, wait a second, don't, don't agree until you hear all of it. He said, I need you to do something, and if you do it, I'll give you $10,000 if you do it. I need you to say that my brother was a saint. Well, the pastor thought about it for a moment and, and pondered, and and. and he agreed. He said, I think I can do that. And, uh, and they went their ways. Then came the day of the funeral service, and there's the dead brother laying there. There's the live brother in the front row. And the service is full with all the people that have heard in this small community. The rumor mill was very active about the deal that had been made with the pastor. The pastor stood up at the beginning of the service, and he simply said this, ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered here today to mourn upon the most wicked, the most hateful, the most vile, 
and maybe the worst person that I have ever met in my life. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> the question for all of us is who are we comparing ourselves to? We do this thing where with our sin and with our brokenness where we pick out someone that we are sure is worse than us. And it somehow it makes us feel better about the state of our own soul. But the reality is that we haven't actually dealt with the fundamental problem. We've just sort of shifted the blame so that we look slightly better. We, we love Hitlers and Stalins because they make us all look fantastic. But the reality is, is that there is in fact a Hitler and a Stalin inside of, of all of us. And if we're really honest about it, there is a problem that we have that we don't have the solution to. And this is why Jesus says we need forgiveness. The reason why our sin counts is precisely because we count to God. This is how Richard John Newhouse says it. He says, God would not decide not to count when it comes to our sin because he would not declare that we do not count. Think about it in this way. What I mean is when you love someone, what they do matters to you. It's the people that you don't care about that it doesn't matter what they do or what they say, but, but when they matter to you, when you love them, when you're, they're your beloved, everything they do, in fact, counts. And it's precisely because God loves us so much that our lives and our sin, in fact, count. If, if, he, if he simply uh, d denied that reality, then it wouldn't matter. Good or evil would simply be washed away. There would be nothing meaningful about our lives. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send his son who lived a perfect life, went to the cross that he did not deserve so that you and I could give, could receive a life that we didn't deserve. The clean for the unclean the just for the unjust, the perfect for the imperfect. Jesus, his message at the core of it, he called it the good news. This is what he said in Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I want you to know this morning that good news is not good advice. Good news is the test has been canceled. The lottery ticket you bought, it's a winner. And the tumors that the doctor diagnosed, they're gone. That's good news. Good advice is, yeah, you, you need to pray just a, a little bit more. You, you need to give a little bit more. You need, you need to do a little bit more to get in. Good news is the door is open. You're invited in. You can come into the family. There's a place for you. I'll make up the difference. It's open season for all those who desire to come into the kingdom of God. 
Oh, it's open season this morning if you're feeling like you don't got it, you don't have enough, you're not in the right place, you haven't done good enough. It's open season for everybody who feels like they don't measure up because the reality is we don't measure up, but we have a king that has decided to make up the difference. And he says to us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The resurrection of Jesus today speaks as loudly as it did 2,000 years ago. The cross has spoken. The work is done. The cross has won. He stands today with arms stretched wide. If we will but drop our foolish pride, if we will simply raise our hand and say, King Jesus, you are the way. Because of the resurrection, the cross says to us this morning that we have been invited in. Because of the resurrection, the cross says to us this morning, we have a family that cannot ever be taken from us. And because of the resurrection, the cross says today, we have been forgiven. Would you just bow your heads with me as we bring this service to a conclusion? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your invitation. Thank you, Jesus, that you make up the difference. Thank you, Lord, that you don't judge us, but you have actually made a way for us, that you've invited us into the party, that you've prepared a place for us. Thank you, God, that today as we sit here in this place, we don't have to stay the same. We don't have to be alienated or rejected, but we know that we are accepted. We thank you for that reality today. Thank you for the reality of the resurrection Thank you for the reality of your presence. Thank you that even in this very moment, you are here today in this building with us. Your power, Lord, is made perfect in our weakness. Wherever we are lacking today, you make up the difference. And we praise you for that this morning. As you just keep your heads bowed just for a moment longer, it would be wrong of me not to take a moment like this and simply make an invitation. For those of you who today are saying in your heart, I, I need to cross over the line. I, I need to receive that good news. Forever, whatever reason, you have never done that before. For whatever reason, you've never accepted Christ and said, you're the way. And you may not even understand totally what that is this morning. You've heard the message today. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the quality of the person that we're bringing our faith to. And if you're ready today to say, you know what? Yes, Jesus, I need in to the party. I need that family for eternity. I need forgiveness for my life. If you're ready to do that, would you just raise your hand? Just say, Lord, I I'm calling out to you today. Yes, go ahead and raise those hands high. Just keep them up just for a moment. I see hands all over the auditorium. We're saying, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. I'm crossing over the line this morning. I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking you for hope. I'm asking you if you would remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom hands all over. Would you just go ahead and put those hands down just for a moment? I'm going to invite one other group this morning. If you're here today and you've been away from the Lord and you know what I'm talking about and, and, and this is not news to you, but you have gone in a different direction. You've actually chosen to walk somewhere else, but today you're recognizing it's time for me to come back into the kingdom. It's time for me to come back underneath the King of Kings for whatever reason you've been running, but today is the day of change. You're going in the other direction. Would you just raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. I'm coming back 
this morning. I've been out of the house, but I'm coming back into the house. I've been doing my own thing, but I'm coming back to the thing that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is all about. Put those hands up high. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you. Go ahead and put those hands down. If you'd all just stand with me just for a moment. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing before we close. It's easy to raise our hands. Many times we'll raise our hands and we'll forget them. But I'm going to ask those who raised your hand just a moment ago, if you just come and step out right now to the aisle and just make your way right down up here up front. The reason why I'm asking you to do that is because we will forget that we raised our hands. You will never forget this moment if you come down front right now and meet me here at the altar and let me pray for you. So just right now, just take a step out and begin to come down. As they begin to come all the way from the back, all the way to the front, we've got time for you. We're waiting for you. As they're making their way down front, this is, I'm going to ask you to do if you're still standing in your seat. Come on, come on right up here, guys. Beautiful, beautiful. If you're still standing in your seat, I just would like ask you to do this thing. And this is not bullying someone or pressuring them in any way. But if you would just turn to your neighbor and say, do you need to go down? I'll go down with you. Let's go ahead and ask them right now. You need to go down? I'll go down with you if so. And then just come on down. Because I know there's some of you that don't quite have the courage, but you will in this moment. Come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 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 Come on, come up front here. Make a little bit more room as they, as they come into the aisle so they're not stuck there. Come forward. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to bite you, I promise. Would you guys just raise your hands right now in this moment? Let's just all pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this hour and this moment. We thank you for the souls that are precious that are standing right here. Lord, we thank you for the power that we know right now is present in the house. We thank you that Jesus is here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is alive and he's well. So God, for every hand that's raised, for every person that's up here, for every soul that is represented, in the name of Jesus, would you seal them right now with your spirit? Would you touch them with a fresh anointing, a fresh touch of your presence and of your power? Would you transform them, Lord, into your likeness? Let this be a day of transformation, a day of change, a day, Lord, where from the B.C. and A.D. that they're moving on, and now they're in a new and fresh way and a new and fresh life. Would you do that inside of each one? Lord, would you cover them with your blood that washes us white as snow? Would you fill them with your spirit, Lord, even as they lift their hands up? We're asking that you would encounter them by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Not that this is just a nice moment, but that this would be a God moment that would forever mark them for eternity. We declare there's new destinies right now that are being released into these lives. We declare that there's families generationally that will be blessed and transformed. Even in this moment of decision, this moment, Lord, of accepting what you're doing, God, you're going to do more than what we could ask or imagine. And we give praise to you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.